Hello and welcome to Create, Talk, Repeat. My name is Dustin Brenton. On this week's episode, I speak with a woman that needs no introduction, at least to those in the design world. She has been hosting Design Matters podcast for 18 years. She's the author of several books. She co-founded the world's first graduate program in branding at the School for Visual Arts in New York City. And I haven't even mentioned her actual design work. She is without a doubt the inspiration for this podcast. Everything I do on here, I learned by listening to her show. So I am very humbled to have Debbie Millman on the podcast today. Now, here's the irony of all of this. Both of us are podcasters. And even with two professionals, technology can still cause issues. We had some glitches with the audio, but I still wanted to release this episode. Just with the caveat of, I'm sorry about the audio issues. I hope you enjoy this discussion with a great human being, Miss Debbie Millman. But before we get to that interview, here's a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, visit anchor.fm. It's a great way to build your own podcast and get paid while doing it. That's anchor.fm. Back to the show. Hello, and today on Create, Talk, Repeat, I have Debbie Millman. Debbie, thanks for joining us. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Dustin. It's great to be here. Well, now, this is a, a, a big, huge joy for me to have you on the podcast today. You are the reason I do a podcast. Um, I have been listening to Debbie's podcast, uh, Design Matters, for many, many years. Um, and she's been doing the podcast for, what, 17, 18 years now? 18, something like that? just past the 18th 18. anniversary on February 4th. And so I, I love listening to it. I I have to say what I do is just basically what you do. I, I've taken you know, listening to you for, for years and years and I, I said, okay, well, I'm going to talk to some other people that I know and, um, and, and basically just do what you do. Now I'm going to, I'm going to back up and say not as well because you have this amazing ability. Uh, I don't know if you're doing it yourself or you have a whole team of people who do all this research when you have people on your podcast, I don't do as much research. So I, uh, I usually just have a, a conversation like I don't know you, so that oh, the well, listeners can get to that's, know you. That's fine, and I'm actually glad to hear it. I don't. I wouldn't wish anybody <laughs> to. I think at this point it's become a bit of an OCD thing where I just never feel like I've done enough research and right. end up just working. I don't know. It used to be ten hours or so per show, and now I would say it's like twice that. And I yeah. think it's out of con- it's getting out of control. It's getting out of control. <laughs> I'm always afraid I'm going to bring up something. They'll be like. Didn't you know that about me? Like, no, I don't. So that's <laughs> that. So, well, I don't want to go into too much. I don't want to put any words in your mouth. I always ask people, the first question I ask is, what do you create? Oh, I love that question. I create a bunch of different things. And I've always liked to create a bunch of different things at the same time. Right now, I create podcasts. I create a graduate program at the School of Visual Arts. I create editorial as the editorial director of printmagazine.com. Um, I create books, I create illustrations, I create essays. 
I create chaos sometimes at home. Well, maybe just in general. <laughs> <laughs> and and I guess I'm just trying to create um, a meaningful life. Wait, that's well, that's a wonderful thing to create. That's. It sounds like you're creating, you said chaos. It sounds like you don't have time to create anything. Like you add anything else to your life. You're so busy doing so many different things here and there. You uh, you filled your time with creating. Is that what your, it sounds like your whole life kind of revolves around creating. Well, I guess don't all of our lives involve a centerpiece of creating somehow, whether it be family or our jobs or just living it feels like living just living is a very creative act in and of itself if if we have our basic needs met you know if we're right. lucky enough to have our basic needs met mm -hmm. so you so let's talk about the podcast real quick well, okay. real quick this will be the whole thing you know talk about. but what what made you start doing design matters I started doing design matters. The idea for design matters uh, started or was was first initiated in 2004. I had written a piece on the then first design blog, Speak Up, about um, election graphics with my dear friend Mark Kingsley, a fellow designer writer, and he and I were were writing about the fact that. At that point in our sort of political vernacular, we started to see purple. You know, there were the red states and the blue states, and then we were beginning to see the purple states. Mm -hmm. And somehow or another, that piece went far and wide. And I think as a result from, from that, I got a cold call from a fledgling internet radio network called Voice America. Mm -hmm. And not Voice of America, which is different than Voice America. Right. And they they were inviting me to start a radio show. And I got super excited because at the time I felt that my creative spirit, interesting in terms of the first question you asked me, was was kind of dying because I was only doing commercial work mm -hmm. and had all but given up many or if not all of my other creative endeavors. And was feeling really down about it. So when I got this call about creating a, a radio show, I got excited because I thought, oh, this is a new interesting thing that could dovetail with my work in some ways because I could talk to creative people and maybe some of those people would be related to what I was doing commercially, but maybe from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And and so I was super excited. I was really excited until I found out that they weren't really offering me a job. They were offering me an opportunity to pay them to create this show for me. So it was a bit of a vanity project, but that really shows you just how desperate I was for something new to, to work on creatively. Mm -hmm. And so I started, I did my first hundred shows on Voice America, all of which I paid for. And then in 2009, brought the show to Design Observer and the late, great Bill Drentel introduced me to my producer who I still work with today, Curtis Fox. So we've been working together now for 14 years and I've uh, been doing the show ever since. I have a little studio at the School of Visual Arts where I record most of my shows. And um, I wanna say two or three years ago at this point, I joined forces with the TED Audio Collective and 
they help market and distribute the show. Um, I still own it outright, but they really help have helped me grow it and expand it. Yeah, I love I love you know branching out and talking to other creatives because I, I like that idea. That's one of the reasons why I started doing this. I like surrounding myself with people, the creative types as well. And having we all get stuck in our silos. We get stuck in the way that we do things, and sometimes we get stuck in the idea of well, that's the way it's done. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do when I created this podcast was to um, bring creatives of all different types and all different walks of life and say, you know, this person may have become successful or doing their what they're doing because they went to college and they did this, and they did that. Or this person may have just submitted something to an online contest or this person is just producing it on their own in their house and to show that there's several different paths and there's all different types of ways to be creative. And just to have those conversations that I was, I would talk to people about anyways, so might as well record it, you know? So, and it's just, it's been such a a fun journey in the short, I forget how many I've done at this point, 20 episodes or so that I've done, but um, yeah, I've talked to uh, musicians and talked to comedians. I've talked to, you know, everybody and it started more as just kind of design and art and it's grown you know, much bigger than that. So that's one of the things I love. Yeah, about I find that podcast. fun. I, yeah, I would say the same thing. Um, I've really, I, I feel that anybody that is making something creative is interesting. Um, I am really endlessly fascinated by how people make things, how people create things. And it could be a, a comedy show. It could be um a play, a piece of music, um, a, a book, an essay, anybody that's making something from nothing to me is is really the most magical thing on the on the planet. Mm-hmm. So when did you start not just the podcast, but just in your life, when did you start creating? when was was this something that you had a passion for as a kid? Were you always drawing? Were you? Um, always interested in the design field. When did when did that start for you? Uh, I've always been making things ever since I was a little girl. It could be uh, a drawing. It could be um, something that I was sewing. My mother taught me how to sew at a very young age. Um, I also I remember making perfume out of baby oil and rose petals and talcum powder, which just resulted in a bit of a gluey pink mess. Um, but I was always making things. I made plays. I made my siblings play parts. I remember decorating the windows in the house with paper, construction paper um, cutouts. I, I, I was always making things. That's so much fun. That's how I was growing up. I always had something that I was creating, whether it was having the big VHS camcorder with my brother making, you know, funny videos or you know we were creating once i got the computer in front of me that was a whole different world being able to create on there as well so where did where did this passion come from you mentioned your siblings and your and your mom you know is there uh where your where your was your family other family members creative is that where you got this passion from um yeah my mom was uh, a painter still life painter and taught me how to paint and draw when i was very young and i used to make my own coloring books and make all sorts of um, household uh, signage yeah. <laughs> for, for the holidays and whatnot. 
Um, my dad was a pharmacist, so I I wouldn't say necessarily that I got my creativity from him, but I did get my entrepreneurial spirit from him, which certainly fuels my creativity. Yeah, well, and you know who we surround ourselves with always influences you know where we go and who we become. And you know, you mentioned it maybe wasn't the most creative, but gave you the entrepreneurial spirit, and that's. That's something that you can obviously see in you and everything that you create and you, you you kind of, you know, rattle off all the things that you you do and every day. So you clearly got that from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so were you, and and again, going back to the fact that I don't do a whole lot of research, um, where, where was your formal training from? Or did you have much formal training to uh, for design? Well, I I didn't really have formal training. I went to SUNY Albany, State University of New York at Albany, with a major in English and a minor in Russian literature. So I always joke now that I have a college degree in reading. <laughs> um, but I did uh, start working on the school newspaper in my junior year of college. And when you were an editor on the paper back then, you were also required to put the paper together. And so I learned on the job basic drafting skills, how to work at a computographic machine and a stat machine. And this was all in the early 80s, really mm -hmm. pre-Apple uh, and, and all of the devices that we began to use mid to late 80s and certainly into the 90s. So I was trained in that sort of wonderful period where everybody was still working on drafting tables and doing things by hand, but also was very aware of some of the production that was required to put any kind of graphic design together. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's always kind of, um, I, I always ask it of everybody, but I feel like it's kind of a silly question because, you know, we have our formal training that people go through and you might go to a university for whatever. And even if you're going for design, I always ask people like, are you formally trained or self-taught? Well, we're all self-taught in some way or another. Cause once, and I tell this, cause I, I teach at a local college and I tell my students like, okay, I'm going to teach you this, but what I'm really teaching you is how to continue to learn. Uh, because once you get out of here, you're going to have to continue to learn whether it's new software, whether it's new design trends, whatever it might be, always continue to learn beyond this. Don't just say, I got my degree in blank in this year and that's how it's done. So. I always kind of ask that question, are you formally taught? Do you, you know, did, had you figured out on your own? But like, we all have to continue to learn on our own as we go. Oh, absolutely. I would say that I was very informally taught um, almost everything. I didn't really um, come away from a college experience in any way a scholar of anything other than reading. And I did have the great skills that I picked up and when I say great, I don't mean that I was great in, in terms of talented. I mean, the great opportunity that I had right. to learn these things. It really wasn't until I was much older, well into my 40s, that I went back to school of any kind and continued my more formal education. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm very glad that I did. And I love to be able to say that I was continually learning for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing where I got my associate's degree and then I went back, it was like 15 years later after graduating from college and 15 years later and got my, uh, maybe been longer than that. No, I was wrong. But, and got my bachelor's degree. So it was like, I almost appreciated it more going back later in life. And 
and learning that way. So tell me about the uh, the, uh, the graduate program uh, and branding. How did that come about? Steve Heller is a very dear friend of mine, and he's been teaching at the School of Visual Arts for close to, I think, maybe three decades, maybe more. Um, he started his graduate program in design, master's in design, uh, MFA in design in, well, I think about 25 years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. And I had been working steadily in the branding business, branding industry for several decades. And, and I was teaching undergrad at the School of Visual Arts. And I started teaching there in 2006. And Steve approached me and asked me if I would be interested in working with him to co-found a master's program in branding. He had been appointed a role at SVA in addition to his work as founder of the design MFA at, at the School of Visual Arts. He was also charged with developing new, more progressive graduate programs. And so he asked me if I would work with him, if I'd be interested in working with him. At the time, I was still running a brand consultancy, and I did that up until 2016. Um, I was president of the branding consultancy Sterling Brands. Um, but we were, I knew at the time when he approached me, which I think was 2007, 2008, around that time, um, I knew that we were gearing up for acquisition. The senior partner at Sterling had always been very clear about growing the business to a certain size and then uh, joining a network. And so I knew that we were preparing to do that, at which point I thought this master's program could be a wonderful next chapter. Um, it turned out that um, the timing wasn't actually ideal. I ended up doing both at the same time for a really long time. <laughs> so I, I always said I had two full-time jobs, a day job at Sterling and a night job at SBA because our program was in the evenings. Mm -hmm. um, but we did uh, have a very successful acquisition. And then I stayed all the way through the earnout and then some. And in 2016, left not really to provide any more time at SVA. I was still, I, I've always felt that I've been able to manage the the time commitment and then some, but to do a lot of the other things that I really wanted to do. But when we started, it was the first graduate program of its kind in branding. Mm. Um, branding, I believe that branding is multidisciplinary. It includes behavioral psychology, it includes cultural anthropology, it includes economics and statistics and market research and creativity. And so those are all the classes that we teach. And we do a lot of real world projects every year. We work with at least two different real clients. And uh, there's foundation classes in history and in the meaning of branded objects and all sorts of forms of market research and analyzing data and becoming more comfortable with the language of finance <laughs> yeah. and and how it relates to to branding as well as the bigger more cultural um, issues that arise when you're branding social movements or sports teams or people right. if that's what other people are, are thinking about doing so I'm really excited about the work that we do. I really do believe that the culture of branding reflects the sort of state of our culture. The condition of, of branding reflects the condition of our culture. And so 
I think that it's one of the most important disciplines to be able to understand in, in today's world. Yeah, there's so much to it that it's not just, you know, what color is your logo, you know, right. and that's one of those things that that's the first thing that I tell a client when I'm sitting across the table from them is, you know, when I say, what is your brand? And they say, well, it's this logo and it's red and it's whatever. And like, no, your, your brand is not your logo. You know, here's what branding is and have to explain, like you said, the psychology of it and what, what other people say about you and doing market research and finding out, you know, what other, how other people see your brand and how can we change that perception or how can we steer into that perception, whatever it might be. So there's so much more to it than I use these pictures and I have this font and, you know, that's, 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 you know, your corporate brand, but that's not branding. So unfortunately it's the same word <laughs> it ended up being confusing. So you, you, so you do a podcast, you started a graduate program. You are also an author. Is it seven yes. books, eight books, seven? Seven, seven, seven books. books. Your most uh, recent book that uh, you had is the um, Why Design Matters. And uh, that kind of is, it, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of coattails off of the podcast. Am I right? Yeah, it is a collection of edited interviews over the last, at the time I was putting the book together, it was uh, 16 years. Mm -hmm. And so I went through the archives transcribed a lot of the shows and made a decision about how to create a narrative arc of these interviews that would be able to talk to why design matters, why creativity matters, why creating matters, and, and the various ways in which people from all walks of life and all disciplines do that. So why does, why does uh, design and creating matter to you? Well, I think it's the way in which we communicate and connect to others. We, yeah. we create symbols and marks to signify all sorts of things, and it becomes a shorthand. Once there is consensus that something means something, mm -hmm. which is created, that consensus is created by the audience, um, then you have a way of communicating that is unique to our species. That's yeah. just one of the reasons I think it's so important. Yeah. So you have so many things that you do. You have all these different avenues and things that you do all day. Do you do anything creative for your own personal enjoyment? Do you, you know, are you, are you painting? Are you sketching? Are you doing things, uh, you know, writing poetry or whatever it might be? Do you do things just for your own enjoyment? Uh, do you have time to even do that? Well, you know what, Dustin? I think everything I do is for my own enjoyment That's at this point in my that. life. You know, I, I only do work now that I find fulfilling and sometimes things get challenging and sometimes I want to pull my hair out because of whatever obstacle I'm confronting at the time, most of which is self-generated, but I, I'm in my early sixties. And so I've tried at this point to create a way of living that is based on for the most part, trying to do things that I really enjoy most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my feeling is, if not now, when? You know, when do I start being more deliberate about what I do and mm -hmm. being more thoughtful about what I take on? I'm so much more conscious of time now and the finiteness of living 
that it scares me when I think, you know, if I'm really, really, really lucky, my life is only two thirds over. But, you know, that can change instantly, as we all know. Sure. And so I think about that every day. I, I never thought about that when I was younger. I didn't I didn't think about time as finite because it isn't in this sort of overarching world. It certainly feels like time is infinite right. and has always been and always will be. But at at the age that I am now, when you begin to see so many other people that you grew up with passing away, you know, Christine mm -hmm. McVie of Fleetwood Mag, David Crosby of CNY, I mean, CSNY, Irene Cara from Fame, you know, all of these oh, people, yeah. Olivia Newton John, who was, you know, my first concert, it makes you all the more aware of how special it is to be alive mm -hmm. and how incredibly lucky we are to be able to create because that ability to create something is based on the fact that, as I mentioned before, sort of all of our physical needs are taken care of. I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. I don't have to worry about where I'm sleeping tonight. I don't have to worry about my health. And so having that freedom is is a gift that I don't want to squander or waste in any way if I can help it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I like the sentiment of when I, you know, I asked, you know, do you do anything for your own enjoyment? And you said that all of this is for my enjoyment. And that's I love, you know, when you can find something when you can do something as a profession that you love, you know, there's that old adage, you don't work a day in your life, right? And mm -hmm. you know, even though there are days I'm, you know, as a designer that uh, I get frustrated with clients or or uh, computers or whatever it might be. But like at the end of the day, I love what I do. I love creating. I love designing. And I love doing stuff like this podcast. But then I do, you know, anything I do, I always, you know, look at it as does it add value to my life and or does it take away from my time? And I I, I know that I'm doing what I'm yeah, I'm supposed to be doing or whatever. I still enjoy it when I see my work out in the world and I still get excited when I see it. It could be something as simple as a logo that I created. And I and I always point it out to people, like, hey, I made that logo. Or I see a bus where I designed the bus. I'm like, hey, I did that bus or, you know, something small. And I'm always excited to see it. And sometimes I'm surprised, you know, I'll be serving the internet and see some web ad that I created pop up and be like, oh my gosh, I did that. I'm excited. So it's it's fun to be in our role where we're creating things and putting it out in the world for other people to enjoy. And yeah. it's, you know, like you said, you're looking at your lifespan and looking at what's, you know, what's adding to that and being able to continue to create is, is a fantastic um, way of looking at it. So out of all the things that you are creating and have created, do you have something that you look at as one of your favorite things? Is it, is, has there been like, one interview that you're really excited about that you did on the podcast or something that you designed years ago, anything that is kind of your favorite piece? Well, that changes sort of year to year. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of at the moment is something that I did last year for the Museum of Broadway, which opened in November of 2022. And I had been commissioned to create wallpaper um, for a room that was going to be 
designated as the room that shared and communicated what AIDS did to the Broadway community. Um, this, just to back up for a second, the, the Museum of Broadway is, is just that. It's a museum that is um, dedicated to the history and the current and the future of the theatrical arts in New York City. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is extraordinary. Um, each room talks about various moments in Broadway history or the current times. And there's incredible collections and it is just a true wonder. <laughs> it's really a must see for anybody going to New York City now. Mm-hmm. And one of the rooms is um, about what AIDS did to the Broadway community. And there are a number of installations in the room, um, whether it be from Angels in America to the Red Ribbon that express some of what was happening. And I was asked to design wallpaper for the room. And what I did in two really giant walls, uh, 10 by 13 and 10 by 17 feet, um, I illustrated 500 names of people that were lost uh, during the AIDS crisis in the 80s and did it by hand. (laughs) And it took me about a year and um, redid it four times because it really wasn't coming out the way I envisioned it. Really? And then finally was able to, yeah, there were, there were all, I mean, I, I was commissioned to do this and said yes and came up with this idea before I even understood what it would take to do this. Right. <laughs> and um, I didn't want, ultimately, I didn't want it to be, to have a scene. I wanted it to be one giant wall piece on each wall. And in order to do that, I had to get the resolution right. And then I miscalculated the, the mathematics because I'm not mathematically inclined. Um, so I made a lot of mistakes on, on en route to doing it. But then finally, I, I got it. Thank goodness. It's, it's, and, good to um, hear, it's good to hear that even Debbie Millman makes mistakes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I made so many mistakes. <laughs> I So there were two walls. And I started with the A's because it was alphabetical. And I realized after I had finished, after I had finished, you know, A through L, mm-hmm. half the names that I had put it on the wrong wall size, that oh. it should have been on the shorter wall because yeah. that wall was the left wall. And so everything that I did had to be redone because it was, again, all done by hand. Mm-hmm. So there was no way I could reconfigure 10 by 13 to be 10 by 17 because the heights were the same. It was just the widths that were different (laughs) and it was alphabetical. And so, you know, then by the end, there was a couple of additions or mistakes that were made. And so then I had to go back into um, everything and re sort of cover up mistakes and make not really mistakes, but add or change things per mm-hmm. the client. And I'm like, do you realize how much time it takes to make one? <laughs> all these letters overlapping. And it was, it was intense. But I remember saying to my wife at the time that if this looks the way I hope it looks, it will all be worth it. Mm-hmm. And it looks even better than I thought it would look. So, and it's a permanent, uh, permanent display. It's a permanent exhibit there. Mm -hmm. And so I am really proud of it. I also, on a more personal level, uh, lost a very dear friend in the early 80s. Um, No, I'm sorry, in the early 90s to AIDS. And he wasn't in the theater world. He was in the film world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I asked the, um, I asked the 
my clients at the Museum of Broadway if I could add his name. And I also asked the Broadway Cares folks, and they said yes. And so my friend Brian Greenbaum's name is in there as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Me. Yeah. Yeah. He, Not he fantastic. Did a lot of film work. No, no, in there, but fantastic. You yeah. were able to honor him that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that made me really, really happy. Yeah. Because um, he had worked, he was very, very involved in, in the film, in the film business. He actually worked on a film, very, very well known film called Metropolitan. So I felt like that, that, that gave him the, the crossover. It allowed, yeah, allowed him to be a part of it. Well, that's, that sounds like an amazing project. I've, you know, I was, I jokingly said, you know, even you make mistakes and it's nice to hear though, because so many times we have these, um, you know, I don't, people that we look up to the, uh, these um, mentors or giants of the industry or whatever we want to call them. We have these people that we look up to and we think that they're like infallible and they mm -hmm. do everything perfect. And every time you get a project, it's absolutely done the exact right way. And, and then when, you know, somebody like myself takes over a project and we print, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, hundreds of pieces and we look at it and there's a typo in it and like, no, like, that wouldn't happen, happen to Debbie Millman. That oh my goodness, my that. career, Dustin, is littered with mistakes and rejections and failures and tears and tantrums. Believe me, believe me. <laughs> that's good. That's good to hear. That's this is quality content for my podcast, <laughs> my podcast <laughs> listeners to hear that you know you can make mistakes. It's fine. We all and make I mistakes. still do every single day. Yeah. Well, and that and we continue to learn from it. I always look at it and say, well, this is a learning opportunity. We'll we'll figure <laughs> out how to do it better next time. So. <laughs> You're a bigger man than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I still get upset about it, but then I just you know carry on so so what is it that uh what or who continues to inspire you today to continue to create is there some other is there, is there some sort of artist out there musician or just something that inspires you to continue to create well i think just living every day feels like an opportunity to to make something my wife roxanne gay she's an incredible writer and thinker mm -hmm. and maker of her own and her work inspires me to to do better and to work harder um and then a lot of my dear friends are are writers and artists and designers and you know whether it be paula Cher, emily overman or chip kidd or Dee, Dee gordon um my cousin eileen Feynman is an activist and a scholar and somebody that is always inspiring me deborah cass patricia cronin Jackie Woodson, um, there's uh, Min Jin Lee. I mean, I am I am definitely not at a loss for the proximity to extraordinary people making extraordinary things. Yeah, it sounds like you have quite the list of people that you've surrounded yourself with. That uh, naming off people like Chip Kid and Paula Share, like you got. Yeah, you know, they're my the, dear friends. Yeah, and the, I am very lucky to say that the top top of the line people to surround yourself with for creativity that's for sure so do you do you have anything that you are working on in the future for now like into the future is there another uh another book is there obviously there's gonna be more episodes of the podcast um is there anything else that you're looking at that you're you're working on um right now i'm doing a lot of work on printmagazine.com that's that's something i've been spending a lot of energy and time um, with I've been working on um, putting together a real collection of 
writers, new voices. Um, the editorial content is something that I am heavily involved in curating. And so that's something that I am really committed to doing and, and making sure that this, at least the online magazine, so to speak, is, is still able to flourish. We, I bought the brand, the print magazine brand from the previous owners. Uh, they had gone bankrupt and I bought it with five of my friends, uh, Steve Heller being one, Laura Desenfant and Deb Aldridge from DNAD uh, company and um, Andrew Gibbs and Jessica Desio from the Dine Line. And so the six of us have been working to preserve the, the legacy, but still also continue into the future with this 80 year old brand. Um, I recently was going through the boxes of print magazines that I have, and we have the entire archive of the last 80 years. And I, I'm sure you know that we recently lost the, the legendary designer, Karen Goldberg. And I went back into the archives to look for a piece that had been written about her by Phil Meggs in uh, 1989. And going through that magazine made me feel very proud that at least an online presence of it exists because it was such an extraordinary publication. Mm -hmm. And hopefully one day we'll be able to even be able to possibly bring back a, a print edition. But continuing it is is you know one of the things that I'm very committed to. That's fantastic. I'm glad you're continuing uh, print magazine. We had when I was going to college, we had the print annuals that yeah. we would we would use, and um, it was part of our curriculum. We had to have it as like a textbook, and we would go through it, and you know uh, we'd be talking about just the fundamentals of design and. Uh, the instructor would ask us, you know, find something that shows high contrast, show something that or find something that shows, you know, proximity or shows whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, good rhythm, bad rhythm. And we would go through it and, you know, they were all numbered. So we could say, oh, page, you know, 25, number four. And we would discuss it as a class. And I still have, I probably have four or five print annuals that I kept. I still have them on, on a bookshelf somewhere. And even to this day, I'll grab it and I'll flip through it and look through it. And uh, just to get ideas and stuff. So okay, I think that makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are those are great to to have. And I and you know I hate seeing um, a, 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 something like that just disappear. As much as I love the internet and I love the accessibility of all of it, I hate seeing print go away. Yeah. And there's there's a part of me that still loves. I get Graphic Design USA magazine every yeah, month. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love getting it, even if I'm not in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I love I love getting it and flipping through. I use it kind of like a print annual sometimes because they have so much good work in there. So that's fantastic. Continue to work on the the print magazine and make it make it so again. I I hate to see it go away. So, well, before you go, I always I have one last question. Before you go, if uh, if anybody wants to hear more about, uh, uh, if anybody wants to hear Debbie's podcast, uh, it's called Design Matters. You can find it literally everywhere. Um, but the website to find it is designmattersmedia.com. Um, you can also find more about Debbie Millman at debbiemillman.com. And she's on all the socials as Debbie Millman. So Debbie, the last, uh, last question I always ask everybody that comes on here is if you're talking to a class full of creatives, 
what kind of advice would you give to them as they set forth on their creative journey? So a group of young people start just starting out. Yeah. Um, allow yourself to make a lot of mistakes. If you're not making enough mistakes, you're not taking enough risks. And when you're first starting out, the more you can allow yourself the freedom to experiment, the more likely you are to feel like you are making a difference. That's great. Yeah. Be, put yourself out there. And I mean, look at me. I've started a podcast and I'm talking to Debbie Millman. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> great, oh, things, thank you, great things can happen. So, well, thanks for joining us today, Debbie. I appreciate it. And I want to, I want to sign off with a quote from yours that you always say, and remember, we can talk about making a difference. We can make a difference or we can do both. We can do both. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you, Dustin. Each week on Create, Talk, Repeat, I want to leave you with some creative task or inspiration, something to get your creative juices flowing. Today, I want to leave you with an inspirational quote from someone we mentioned on this very episode. This quote comes from Paula Scher. She says, it's through mistakes that you can, <laughs> this is fitting, let me start over. <laughs> the quote is, it's through mistakes that you can actually grow. I even messed it up again. I'm not doing that on purpose. These are mistakes and I'm learning and I'm growing. Let's try one more time. The quote from Paula Scher says, it's through mistakes that you can actually can grow. You have to get bad in order to get good. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Don't fear mistakes. Embrace them. See the mistakes as learning opportunities. How are you going to avoid that pitfall next time? How are you going to improve from here? So get out there and get bad at creating so you can start to get good. I hope this helps you on your creative journey. Thanks for listening to Create, Talk, Repeat. Create Talk Repeat is a Brenton Creative production. Created and hosted by me, Dustin Brenton. Development and brainstorming assistance by Darren Caldwell. Music by Creative Culture. Follow us on Facebook at Create Talk Repeat or visit our website at createtalkrepeat.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.